Hi, I'm Lloyd Freeman, Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer here at Buchanan, Ingersoll & Rooney, and thank you for joining us for today's program. According to the American Bar Association's 2020 profile of the legal profession, 63% of all lawyers are male, and a staggering 86% of all lawyers are white. If we're going to change these demographics, we must find a role for everyone to play in advancing diversity and inclusion in the legal profession. And that includes a role for white men. The conversation around diversity and inclusion, it will often specifically name women, people of color, LGBT individuals, and those with disabilities, but it leaves out white men in the conversation. But I believe that white men play a very critical role in moving that needle. And the two leaders that I'm speaking with today, they're true examples of this. I'm joined here today with Greg Jordan, General Counsel and Chief Administrative Officer at PNC Financial Services, as well as Joe Doherty, CEO and Managing Director of Buchanan, Ingersoll and & Rooney. And today, we will go in-depth as to the roles that white male allies can play in advancing diversity and inclusion in corporate America, in law firms, and in our communities. Gentlemen, thank you for joining me. Greg, I'm gonna start with you. I've often said that diversity and inclusion, they're absolutely necessities and they're our moral obligation. Irrespective of the industry, companies are giving diversity a sense of urgency now like never before. But one of the ways to drive diversity, we all know is to hold people accountable, to really make sure they follow through on their commitments and put it into action. In your role as general counsel, how have you been able to hold your colleagues and professional service providers like your outside counsel? How are you holding them accountable for their DNI progress? Good question, Lloyd, and uh, thanks for having me. I'm really honored to be part of this. You know, the way it works in, in big companies and in a big bank like PNC in particular is accountability starts at the top. We all report up to the board of directors. The board of directors holds senior management accountable to lots of things, and this topic is very much on their agenda. Our CEO has to make regular reports, uh, Bill Demchak, to the board about how we're doing on our commitments. And all of us who report directly to Bill have to participate in those, but also make direct reports to him about these topics. So accountability is hardwired in at the very top of the organization. And then that cascades down through all of us, all the ones who report to Bill and down through our organization. So it's charted, it's tracked, and uh, we have regular reports to hold ourselves accountable. You know, we also, within the legal department, of course, feel like we can play a role in helping the legal profession become more diverse. And so we support things like the LCLD and other organizations that, that are helping the profession become more diverse. And we also recognize with our business that we can have some influence. And we don't like to tell law firms how to run themselves, but we do tell them that for us, we want diverse teams working on our projects because it's the right thing to do, but also because diverse teams perform better. And so we use time metrics to capture data on all the lawyers in all of our firms. And we're able then to track how those firms are doing on our work to achieve those diversity targets. Most of the firms we spend most of our money with are very focused on this and do a good job, but we're able to see the real data uh, and where we need to speak up and seek improvement, we do that. So, you know, we're trying to not just hold ourselves accountable, but also help uh, influence the law firms uh, on these topics too. But you're right in that regard. Clients have always been extremely influential and really moving the needle as it relates to law firms and their responsibility in, in, in advancing DNI. Uh, but of course, there's a, a responsibility you have internally. And so, Joe, I come to you and law firm partners and leaders such as yourself, you have to hold yourself accountable. Um, how do you do that? How do you ensure that you are personally contributing to your firm's DNI commitment? Well, thank you, Lord. And first, thanks for having me join you today. This is an important topic. For me, it's personal. And Greg is right. There's a business imperative to our diversity efforts that's not lost on me as well. But there's more to it than that. I feel that there's a moral obligation to continue to get engaged in diversity efforts. I have the honor and the privilege of being in a position as a CEO where I can serve as an example to others within our firm and outside. So I feel that, you know, holding myself accountable to fulfilling that obligation, I do feel that it's a moral obligation that I have, that I embrace, I'm happy to have it, is an important part of it. Probably the best way I hold myself accountable is the, the LCLD, the Leadership Council of Legal Diversity that Greg mentioned, has a leadership workshop that took place during the summer. 
And I came out of it with a personal pledge of specific items for me to accomplish diversity-wise. And I'm a list guy. I keep lists every day. I've done it probably my entire career. And every day at the end of the day, I'd make a new list of what I didn't get done today to bring over to tomorrow. So having a list of diversity and inclusion uh, items and things that I want to accomplish is very helpful to me. And it really helps me chip through it and hold myself accountable. I feel, you know, most accountability to me is what type of an example am I setting for others and, you know, pushing to make sure that others follow that. Example is that we had our chief diversity inclusion officer became a full-time role this year, trying to push forward with initiatives such as that to start setting examples within the firm for folks to see that. And then we have a lot of conversations. We have programs like this that we're now participating in, but I'm having a lot of individual conversations in the offices. Um, in our shareholder meetings, and our board meetings. And with that, I'm instilling in others that this is an important topic, an important initiative. And I'm hoping they hold me accountable too, that we get ideas and present ways that we can be more accessible, open to ideas now people bring them to you or come to me and say, hey, where are we on things? I mean, that's, you know, so we have a bottoms up type of accountability standard as well as, you know, me trying to set examples. That's great. That's great. And, you know, I can tell you that as you hold yourself accountable and you really dig in deep and make yourself accessible, that's really what drives inclusion. Uh, and so both of you know that I came up through the ranks at a law firm. Uh, you know, I, I made that transition from associate into partner. Um, and you really want that inclusion value. You want to feel like you belong there. You want to feel like you've got a future there. One of the best ways that I was able to have that feeling was through mentors uh, and better yet with sponsors. But you heard the statistics. And there's not many of the mentors and sponsors I had throughout the years who looked like me. And so I really wanted to hear you know, from you, Greg, have you had a chance to mentor women or attorneys from underrepresented groups? And, and even better yet, have you had a chance to sponsor any? Good question. The uh, title of the program, I think, is Allies. Mm -hmm. To me, that's really what sponsorship's all about. You're going to be an ally. It takes work. It's not easy. You don't just mail it in. Uh, and to be a sponsor for somebody and really be their ally to help influence their career in a positive way, it takes time. You got to get to know them. You got to build trust and make a commitment to making an impact. So uh, I've been practicing law and in the business for a long enough time that I've had some some great experiences in lots of different ways. You know, helping you know some young men of color get to law school, uh, helping them on their way in law school, uh, spending some time at PNC as, you know, uh, legal uh, support teams. One of them's now um, a student at the University of Chicago Law School, well on his wow. way to probably making a lot more money than I ever did. Uh, <laughs> and I'm proud of that. You know, so being a sponsor, you know, can involve helping get somebody started on their journey. It can also, and Joe knows this, involve helping people with their career in the law firm. I did a lot of that at Reed Smith, helping people uh, be the best they can be and making them feel included and supported and that they had a friend. And I, and I wasn't always in a high place, uh, but uh, everybody needs a friend and some support along the way. Uh, and I try to do that at PNC too. I won't name any names because I know a bunch of the PNC legal team are on this call right now, but uh, it's, uh, it's actually a fun part uh, of being a, a leader in an organization is to take some of your time to get to know people and help them on their journey, uh, help them be the best they can be. You know, it's, it's kind of hard to beat that. And when you look back at all the things you've done in your career, if you do this, that'll be one of the highlights that you always remember. And it seems as if, you know, it's equally rewarding for you as the mentor, as the sponsor, as much as it was for, you know, your protege or for your mentee who you were helping to come through the ranks. Absolutely. I feel like we can't have this conversation without talking about privilege. I know it's a, a very, very tough topic. So let, let me start by defining it. Privilege, it's, it's a set of invisible benefits. This is benefits that one possesses that they didn't work for, they didn't earn them. And inherently possessing those benefits, it gives you an advantage over those who do not possess uh, those benefits. And that's simply because of certain categories that you fall into, certain social identifiers. I know you can't speak for all white men. I'm not asking you to do that. But Joe, I'm going to come to you. Do you think it's difficult for uh, white male leaders to own their privilege? And how have you been able to own yours and then to use that as an ally? All right, that's a tough question. I'm going to put myself out there. And I've shared this with Lloyd in the past that, um, you know, frankly, the first, more than the first time, first several times that someone suggested to me that my success or where I, where I am in life is partly because of privilege and frankly, you know, specifically white privilege. 
I can tell you, I got very defensive. I come from a pretty humble background. I worked my way, you know, I had jobs starting in high school, worked my way through all my expenses in college and law school. I felt I've worked hard ever since then. So my immediate reaction to hear that is, no, I worked my butt off to get where I am. And, I, you know, I didn't have any help and any privilege. What are you talking about? And I think that's a starting point for a lot of white males when they first hear that suggestion that they become very defensive. I certainly did. And it's not until you begin to let your guard down and say, well, let me learn more about this. Let me figure out what they're really talking about. It'll dawn on you at some point, they're not really talking about you. They're talking about uh, a circumstance that's out there and challenges that others face that I didn't have to, to face. And frankly, until you begin to learn about it and listen and really become educated on what that privilege issue really means, you don't really see it. Um, you know, as, as a young white male lawyer uh, working away, my head down, very self-interested in my career, my family, I didn't know that some of the benefits that I was getting, other people weren't getting, I was oblivious to it. It's not clear to you. If you're not, if you're not experiencing it, you're most likely not aware of it. Once you begin to learn that those challenges are out there, you begin to understand, okay, well, the road for me was pretty flat. Uh, you know, I worked hard and there was a lot of things that I had to do, but this other individual has to work just as hard as me, but they've got these hills and challenges that they have to overcome that I did not. That's when you begin to realize that there really is something that's, that's real called privilege that I was the beneficiary of. And then after you begin to understand that and see that certain underrepresented groups have challenges that I didn't have, then you become more aware that those challenges are out there. And then it comes to the, the most important step at all, uh, and frankly, and that is what are you going to do about it? How are you going to help address uh, the challenges that others have that you didn't experience and make it a level playing field? Absolutely. I think we're talking about inequities. And so it's a matter of what are you going to do to end up, you know, doing your part, at least, to, to write them. Greg, how about you? How have you dealt with privilege? That was a great answer, Joe. We all kind of remember how we started. I grew up in a, in a family in a small town in West Virginia, blue collar family. So I never felt privileged. I didn't feel underprivileged, but I just kind of, you know, it all seemed normal to me. And I can remember my first couple of interviews for legal jobs I wore a beige polyester suit with brass buttons. My, my girlfriend then, now my wife, uh, finally got a hold of me and said, you're never going to get a job unless you get a real suit. I've had a pretty long journey. So you don't feel privileged when you think about that kind of a journey. And it's easy to, to feel defensive about the notion of white privilege in that sense, uh, or that somehow the success you've had, you didn't earn. But, you know, the reality of it is, as I sit here now and look back, it's easy to see the privilege at work. And, and the privilege was as simple as, you know, when I started at Reed Smith, having mentors in the firm reach out to me. And uh, even though I was the first lawyer in my family and didn't go to an elite law school uh, or college, you know, they made me feel welcome in the firm. And that gave me a sense of inclusion long before people talked about inclusion. Uh, but it, it gave me confidence and comfort that I could make it. And so that had a big impact. That was the privilege at work. And it made a big difference in my career. It's sort of, you know, I think about sponsorship, back to your prior question. Mm -hmm. You know, the sponsorship that I can do now is sort of the, it's rebalancing the privilege. You know, I'm helping somebody feel they've got that advantage or edge because I'm helping them uh, in a way that will make a difference. And without that help, they may not have the same trajectory. So privilege and sponsorship are sort of two sides of the same coin in a lot of ways. And if you do the sponsorship now, it's the easiest way to, to uh, you know, counter the privilege that, uh, that, that some of us have and some of us don't. Excellent. Excellent. What were the turning points in your career? Can you point to anything, uh, Greg, um, times where you had to speak up as an ally or any of those aha moments where it just kind of clicked for you and that really began to fuel your commitment to, uh, toward inclusion? It's a good question and a, and a tough question because you know, over a long career, you have lots of experiences. But as I reflected on it, thinking about today, one of the things that I think back on when I first became managing partner, Reed Smith, uh, and along the early days of that, I struggled with not having diversity at the top of the firm. So we had women and people of color who were partners, not as many as there are today in most big firms, but 
uh, we didn't have any in leadership and the managing partner was elected and the board was elected and the board was elected across geographic regions. And so after a couple of years of, of not seeing any change, I had an aha moment and said, well, if I really want to make change here, I've got to do something more dramatic. And we, I pushed for an amendment to the partnership agreement that allowed the managing partner to appoint three members to the board. As soon as I got that approved, I appointed three uh, women and people of color to the board. And all of a sudden, the board sets everybody's pay in a law firm. So all of a sudden, uh, things started to change. And then over a series of years, more and more women ran for the board, got elected. And it, it helped you know, be a kind of a catalytic moment that I think helped us make some progress. And I'm, I'm sure today I'm not in the firm anymore. Um, you know, they're still uh, driving forward on these things. So, you know, that was an aha moment that if you want to really change something, sometimes you need, it's structural. Uh, the second one that popped into my mind, Lloyd, was uh, really something I went through at PNC uh, a couple of years ago. So about a year before uh, last summer's unrest following uh, the killing of George Floyd, in the legal department, uh, some of my lawyers, diverse lawyers, talked me into something that had never happened in PNC, which was a very intense uh, racial awareness conversation led by the lawyers talking to the whole department. And, uh, you know, they were persuasive and talked me into it and I supported it. And it was just incredible. And we heard these very personal stories from people we knew and liked and respected and thought, you know, some of them had gone to much better schools than I did. Uh, so we kind of you think they we've all had the same journey. And when you hear the stories, uh, you know, of our black lawyers and the way they've navigated life and the things they've had to worry about and deal with and think about, you know, it was amazing. It was emotional. We all cried. I know I did hearing these. And it's really impacted me. And I would say it's a good reminder that even if you've been pretty alert to these issues, like I think I have been, you keep learning things you never really saw that were right in front of you. Uh, and that was, that was a real aha experience for me. Uh, and, it, and it made a big, uh, big impact on me. What I like in both of those examples though, Greg, is that you realize that if you wanted to affect some change, some real change, you had to act with intentionality. Yeah. And so you really had to make sure that, you know, if you were gonna be given that, that opportunity to add those board seats, uh, or if you're gonna be given that platform to be able to have those conversations, you were intentional about going there and using it to really affect some some good change yeah, and the absolutely. results paid off. Yep. Yeah. How about you, Joe? Same as Greg. You know, some of it's structural. One one idea, one one thing that I can point to is uh, in our C-suite, uh, which everyone pays attention to within the firm. My la the last three additions to our C-suite have been two women and an attorney of color. And I think part of that is leading by example and then pushing down to the others that we're, we're at the highest levels of management, making sure that our team is diverse. I want my section heads, my offices, and even my ad and my staffs um, to have the same imperatives of diversity. When it comes to Ally, I mean, the one that leaps out to me, and we talked about this, uh, we, were we were preparing for the uh, webinar, was uh, there was a moment, was probably 2013, where I was the head of the Philadelphia office. I had an individual come to me and tell me that in 30 days, she was going to transition from being a male to a female. And I brought, the per I brought her into my office and we sat down to talk about it and try and figure out what that really meant as far as what was gonna happen. And as we had that discussion, it probably took place probably 30, 45 minute um, discussion. It kept coming, the wave kept coming over me of just how, how much courage this individual had to come have this conversation with me that they had no idea how I was gonna react to it. Um, she didn't know whether that meant that this is the end of her career at Buchanan and she was going to be moving on. Um, and, you know, and the deeper we got into that conversation, the more I, I, I couldn't get it out of my head of just what it took for her to come in and just even engage in that conversation. And as that conversation played out, I committed to her that I didn't know what we were going to do, that we would figure out this path together and that I would stay lockstep with her, that we would work, we would work out a plan together. But in 30 days, she can transition and everything will be fine and we're going to do it together. And, and at the end of the day, everything's going to work out okay. And, you know, looking back on it, it was, you know, a gut reaction of I need to help here. 
Um, this is a person that's coming to me for both guidance and assistance. And uh, I got to say, I was very proud of the Philadelphia office. We completely embraced the transition. It went as, you know, uh, as well as I think it could have gone. And I'm uh, very proud of that moment. It really was an aha moment. You can make a difference as an ally. You want to you get together with somebody and help them in whatever journey they pick. You really can make a very personal difference to people. Wow. And that's powerful that you, you believe that the individual, the yeah, I was going to say, wow, that, that was that powerful. Uh, but you say that you felt as if the individual was coming to you for, for guidance and, and assistance, but really what it required of you was for you to tap into your emotional intelligence. And so, you know, it was really at that moment that, you know, your leadership was needed uh, to, to really tap into that level of empathy, a level of understanding, and to be able to act not just simply, you know, with, with a business mindset, but with that emotional intelligence to make sure that you let that individual know that, that they were valued, that they belong there, uh, and that you were going to support them throughout that journey. And I can tell you, it was a very emotional discussion, too. Uh, it was uh, very memorable in many different ways. I can imagine. I can imagine. That, that, that brings me to my next topic. And so, you know, we talk about emotional intelligence. Um, both of you were in your roles um, over the last year. And so that was when George Floyd was murdered. That was, as we've seen, a spike in the anti-Asian hate crimes. Uh, you both have been in leadership positions. What is it that you, you said or that you did in response to those, those horrific incidents? Joe, I'll start with you. Uh, and talking about, of course, tapping into emotional intelligence, what is it that, you know, when, when you were experiencing those moments, what, what struck you and how did you respond as a leader in your organization? Well, the biggest thing was it wasn't just the killing of George Floyd, but for me, it was the aftermath of uh, the national outcry that took place over the days after that. It became much bigger than one individual and there was a national outcry. We're just not going to take this anymore. We need to change. And, you know, as I sat there and processed through all that, it dawned on me, frankly, that I've got to, you know, it was a call to action, frankly. It was, it was I've got to do more. And I said to myself, what am I going to do? What, what is this institution, this law firm going to do? So that when I look back on it next Memorial Day, which is now right around the corner, there is lasting, meaningful change. It is not something we're just going to do over the summer and then it's going to die out and everything's going to be back to the same as it was before. I need to do something that I'm sure that when we look back a year from now and then two years from now, I can point to and say, it was a call of action and we've done something about it. And frankly, that's where we began to germinate from moving from, we had a good diversity program, a great diversity program. We did a lot. We've been Mansfield certified plus for several years, now active members in the LCLD and other things. But it was managed by you know a lawyer that had a busy, a great booming, busy practice. And it was like part-time practice, part-time diversity. I said, we're going to make this an even larger priority. We're going to move to a full-time diversity inclusion officer, and we're going to move that position into the C-suite as, as the chief diversity inclusion officer. And from there, and, and Lloyd, you know this because we've had our meetings, mm -hmm. you know, there's a whole plan of these are the things that I want to do to continue to really elevate and work harder on diversity and make it even you know a, a larger program, stronger program than we had, we had before. And I plan on Memorial Day to look back and say, what have we done differently? And you're going to see, you know, and I think you'll see we have many more, we have much more programs, we have more training, we talk about it much more frequently. There's a lot more intentionality in educating the folks at the, at the law firm about diversity, about inclusion, and just as importantly, what are you going to do to get become engaged and do this with us? Yes. And more than just scratching the surface, really going deep, uh, having those courageous conversations. And, and so, you know, as I turn to you, Greg, uh, in, in corporate America, Talk about being on the surface. I mean, there are a lot of, you know, corporations that were issuing statements, you know, uh, post George Floyd's murder or, or even issued statements, you know, saying that they're standing as allies, you know, with the Asian American community. How did it strike you and, and how did you respond? You know, on a personal level, because I'd been through those conversations in the legal department that I mentioned, I was a bit more ready for this emotionally and kind of I understood the sort of the anger and the unrest that followed. But within the company, we did all of that, Lloyd, you know, the, from the CEO on down, we knew that leaders of the company had to stand up and be heard, but we also had to listen. So we started a series of, of listen conversations around the company with, you know, thousands of people on the calls and having people share their stories and their perspectives uh, kind of in a bigger way uh, to what the legal department did a year earlier. Uh, and, um, and, to, and to just, you know, try to be authentic leaders and listen. And, and then through all that in those conversations, 
uh, we then came up with a series of action items kind of along the same lines of what Joe said. We made some public statements. We announced a billion dollar commitment to economic empowerment in the black and brown communities in particular, but also to help stamp out systemic racism. And in banking, you can do that in a, in a way. There are certain things a bank can do to really make a difference. And so, you know, we did that. You know, we always are looking at talent and diversity, as I mentioned earlier, but we, we made some very important and significant promotions. Uh, two of our top black executives in the company were elevated to uh, the CEO's direct management team in big jobs. One that we created, the Chief Corporate Responsibility Officer, which uh, oversees the billion dollars and lots of other things, including now the DNI program throughout the company. And uh, uh, a black woman promoted to run the uh, the big uh, wealth business, which is a big part of PNC. So these were promotions that were due. Uh, they were on the list, but through action, we were able to send a message that this is real. Something profound has just happened, and we're making a real statement and accelerating change within the company. We also formed a new special committee of the board. We have a very diverse board, and we took, uh, we have three people of color on the board. We took those three, the lead director and the chair of the audit committee, and formed a special committee of the board to oversee equity and inclusion subjects. So how we're going to spend the billion dollars, how we're going to become even more diverse and everything in between. And that board has been very active and has been meeting every six or eight weeks since then. So again, not any one of these things solves the issue or, or ends the game, but it's all part of a puzzle that we're working on uh, to try to, as a, as a company, be the kind of company we all want to, would be proud of on issues like this and using our, our place as a large bank to help make change in the community. It's been a lot of work, but it's actually been a, a very uplifting effort. And, and in, in many ways, something good for us has come out of something uh, as horrible as, as what happened to George Floyd. And more recently with the you know, continued increase in, in the attacks on Asian Americans, particularly older Asian Americans, you know, we've been, we're doing the same kind of outreach. I've met with the Asian American legal team where we've met broadly throughout the company. And, uh, you know, the, the issues are, aren't all the same to many of these things, but they're a lot the same. And, uh, and we're attacking them kind of the same way. What I'm hearing, though, is from both of you, you weren't attacking it simply from an internal, you know, looking yeah. at it within your organization. You, you knew that this was something that was a problem in the communities, the places where you do business, the places where your, your customers and your clients are, and, and you talked about your commitment to the communities. And there was a lot of money that was also put behind this to really make sure that you could affect uh, some change in those communities as well. So that's very much so to be commended. But I think the, the real takeaway here is that there's no one approach. There was no one approach. It took a lot um, and it took a lot of actual action uh, behind, you know, putting out, you know, the statements. Uh, and it was, this is what we're going to do about it. Yeah. We've all, please, you have something else? Nope. We, we've all made, of course, some mistakes uh, in navigating uh, the diversity space, uh, likely very early, you know, in our DNI journey. What advice, Greg, would you give a younger version of yourself to avoid some of those missteps? The way I think about that, not specific mistakes so much, but maybe underestimating the need for a hand, a reach out to help somebody. And you don't have to be the CEO of a law firm or the general counsel of a, of a, of a bank uh, to do that. At every step of the way, you might be able to do something today uh, to make a difference for somebody else that's going to change the trajectory of their career by letting them know they're not alone, letting them know you're interested in them helping them succeed uh, on a project, on writing a letter, whatever the, you know, the particular thing, however big or small it is, that might make a difference. And, you know, I think in my early days on this journey, I didn't really understand that. Uh, and, and as I look back now, it's so clear that everybody at every level in an organization like Buchanan, Ingersoll and Rooney or PNC can make a difference for people who that day might really need it. And that's what being an ally is all about. And you know, allyship doesn't just belong to the people at the top. It belongs to everybody. You can make a difference 
maybe someday somebody will make a difference for you that'll change the trajectory of your career in a positive way. So um, that's the thing I, I would reflect on. And, uh, I, you know, I think as a young lawyer, like Joe said, I was buried in my work, head down, trying to just, you know, keep ahead of the head of the uh, pink slip or something. But, uh, you know, uh, everybody can make a difference uh, if you think about it that way. Joe? Young Joe. What, what, what advice are you giving to young Joe? Um, you know, similar to Greg, I think advice is to take the blinders off. Um, I think of myself as a young lawyer. Yeah, you can go back 10 years ago, 15 years ago, worried about my career, worried about you know, getting good outcomes for the clients, learning the profession, building a book of business, all the pressures that are there, having a family. A lot of it's centered around, you know, what do I need to do for me and my family? And less awareness of others in the community and, and, and in my firm and who I was working with. And I wish, as I go back on it, that I realized earlier in my career that working together with others that are different from me not only helps them, it kind of addresses some of the privilege issues and challenges that are out there. Uh, it, would help, it would have helped me. You build better teams. I would have learned better, you know, different, perce different perceptions and uh, different takes on things, have different, you know, yeah, everybody has different opinions and approaches. Being an ally earlier and working with people that were different from me would have benefited everybody involved in it. And I wish that I'd appreciated that earlier in my career. Mm -hmm. You know, this program, it's great that we've got, you know, leaders of, of organizations such as, you know, each of yours uh, here to talk about this, but the program is open to everyone. And so I know that there are some who may be listening uh, to some of your stories or some of your advice. And they're thinking that you are, of course, uniquely positioned to take certain actions because, I mean, you're the CEO of your, of your law firm. What's your advice for other white males? And I'm talking about those who are not on the CEO level in their organization, but they want to be allies. They want to they do the right thing. They want to contribute toward advancing DNI. What's your advice for those individuals? Get engaged. Do something about it. Stop talking about it and, and do something, frankly. And it all starts with learning. Um, there's so much that we don't even know that we don't know to become a good ally. Meet with people, talk to people, and most especially, listen. Listen to what they're telling you. Process it. Think about it. And by doing that, you're going to learn a lot, and you're going to learn what you can do to make it a better community, more inclusive community, to build teams and work together. But I think, you know, what I would really push everybody first to do is get up off the sidelines and get engaged and begin to learn. And, and so by beginning to learn, uh, you, it seems like what you're also pushing is for people to do their own homework. Uh, yep. Yeah. You know, um, do your own homework is, is that, that that's that's really true. There's there's so much content out there. Programs like this programs by the LCLD. Um, you can get articles, you know, the Internet's you know, you can Google anything these days as you meet with people and you begin to talk to them learn a lot beforehand. You know, don't sit down with your, your Asian American friends and, and ask them, well, why, why do you think there's violence out there uh, against Asian Americans today? Do your homework and understand what's going on and then go in there you know, and have those conversations where you have some knowledge and you have some empathy and you can work together. Um, it's not on others to kind of educate us and teach us everything that there is to do about diversity and inclusion. You've got to take ownership of some of this and learn for yourself and then go have those conversations. Excellent. Excellent. And Greg, what, what advice would you give to um, other in-house attorneys uh, who may be working to gain some consensus on the fact that, you know, D&I initiatives, that they're a business imperative and they really want to uh, affect some change, but they may be coming up against some internal pushback. What advice would you give those in-house attorneys who want to be change agents? You know, it's not real profound, but don't give up. Uh, it's the right thing to do. I think the evidence is all in that diverse teams outperform non-diverse teams. So it's clearly the right thing to do. And, you know, you don't have to do it yourself. Uh, whatever organization you're in, there will be allies in there uh, who can help you get something done. Uh, Maybe the general counsel or the CEO of a law firm. It, it'll uh, certainly be lots of other people, too, who can help you make a difference. So uh, don't give up. And uh, don't do it alone. Find the allies, and uh, you'll have a much better chance of making an impact. And, and that's, I think that uh, increases your likelihood of success. One, one question that I, I see in the, the Q&A, and you know, I, I know we kind of touched on this when we were talking about accountability earlier in the conversation, but really outside of holding you know, your law firm uh, or your 
um, your, your outside counsel, if you will, holding them accountable as to their role in affecting change in DNI. How are you then measuring the, the benefits of having a DNI program, or how are you measuring the benefits of you know really being intentional uh, in your focus uh, toward DNI? Well, we see it every day. I mean, I as I've been at PNC now eight years, and uh, just start with the board. The board is far more diverse in every way, geographically, by profession, by career experience, race, gender, etc. The board, uh, the current board is super engaged. It's um, very focused on a whole range of issues that maybe in years past the board wouldn't have been. Uh, And so even at the very top of the company, we see the benefit of diversity. We all see it within the organization. Uh, I mentioned the two senior black executives who got promoted to the, what we call the executive committee, all of whom report to the CEO at PNC. Um, You know, shortly after those promotions occurred, we were dealing with a pretty tricky issue. I don't remember exactly all the dimensions of it, but it involved race issues. And there we were in a meeting and instead of a bunch of white men and women sitting around deciding whether this was a big issue and how to deal with it, we had two of our top black executives on the senior team in the meeting. Uh, you know, again, it's, it's, that shouldn't be a shock that you get a better conversation and make better decisions. So, you know, at every level, um, I think the case is clear that diverse teams do a better job because they think of more things. They have a broader perspective. Uh, you know, it's just like if you have one person making all the decisions, the likelihood that they're all going to be right is pretty low. It takes lots of views and, and diverse views. So to me, that's the way I think of DNI. It's not really about making you feel good. Mm-hmm. It's, about, it's about having better outcomes. It also happens to make you feel good, right? at least me, but, but it's, it's really about the outcomes. Joe, how do you how do you measure progress within the law firm as it relates to to DNI and and all of our uh, you know actions and activity that we have to really put an intentional focus on it? So part of it is, and we don't have a scorecard, but I would call it a scorecard of, of, of stepping back, um, creating intentional programs, and then looking back on it and saying, are we doing what we said we were going to do, and how can we improve that? Uh, programs such as this, programs such as the training that's going on. Um, you know, we have done, we've been very intentional. I mentioned the C-suite appointments earlier. You know, almost half of our office heads are now uh, female attorneys. Uh, almost half of our board are, are female attorneys. You know, trying to basically keep track of and make sure that we're doing as much as we can to make sure there's equal opportunities out there. And then it really becomes, you know, pushing our sections, you know, the different practice groups to make sure that the lawyers in the field, so to speak, the lawyers that are, you know, in each of the offices are also paying attention and making sure there's opportunity for the younger lawyers, the underrepresented groups, to make sure that they're getting equal opportunity, that they're getting time, that they're, uh, it's a contact sport that folks that are running the practice groups, they're running the sections or having meetings and talking with these individuals and working with them. I mean, I, I want to push everybody, work with somebody new. Work with somebody that's that is not somebody that you've worked with before. They'll learn from you. You will learn from them. And I think, Greg, you're right. Uh, you know, the fact that you get better outcomes and you get better input from diverse teams, that that's decided at this point. I think, I think it's not even a question anymore. It's, it's known that that's true. So it's how are we going to effectuate that? How are we going to make sure that that happens? Absolutely. Greg, there's another question in the chat, and I believe it's uh, kind of a piggyback as to um, some of the examples you gave about mentoring. Uh, and it was just if you could clarify, because we've been using the terms, you know, sponsor and mentor, clarify what it means uh, to be a, a mentor as opposed to being a sponsor, you know, when you're actually in the room where it happens. I probably don't have the uh, perfect definition for either term. They're both really important roles, and uh, I've probably been a mentor and a sponsor. To me, at least, sponsorship, there's a bit more ownership in it. Uh, and, you know, you're kind of putting your, um, you're not just coaching in the back room and hoping it goes okay. You're actually putting a more sweat equity in, making a bigger investment in the person, and you're going to, uh, you know, stand up behind them and help them succeed. So 
at least that's the way I think of it, Lloyd. Uh, they're both really critical roles, you know, being a mentor, a, a coach, a uh, somebody who lets people know that uh, they're not alone and you're there to give them your counsel. That's great. Sponsorship is a little more. You know, the young, the young men that I mentioned that I helped get into law school and to take the leap you know, met with them quarterly as they were in law school. And, you know, now they're both, you know, uh, they're on their way to being big successes. And I'm now probably the mentor, but I was a bit more of a sponsor early on. And, and it involved a more intensive um, engagement. It, it does. You know, if you, if you really boil it down, mentors are going to be those who can give advice. Um, they're there to, to give you kind of that day-to-day -day counsel. They're there to help you navigate um, uh, whatever the profession or whatever the organization, as opposed to a sponsor who's really someone who has a position of influence within the organization. And that person, as opposed to just routine advice, they can give access and opportunity uh, to the individuals that they're, that they're trying to sponsor. Uh, they really are you know, helping to advance those individuals in their career, helping to um, open up more doors for them. And so it goes beyond just giving you know, advice in the abstract. It's here's an actual opportunity for you to go and perform. Yeah, yeah uh, to, to just jump in there. Yeah. It's funny when, when you asked that question of Greg, I mean, my immediate reaction was to me, a mentor is someone that you can go to and you can trust for kind of the day-to-day -day advice. And what do I do about this? Or I can't find this, or how should I deal with this individual? Or I have a, you know, I have a scheduling problem. What's your advice? You know, how, how would you handle this? Uh, almost the the day-to-day -day politics of, you know, navigating your way through um, the work world. The sponsor to me really is someone, and Greg, you, you hit it on the head, but it takes ownership. It's a much bigger picture. I'm going to give you career guidance. I'm going to make sure that I show you that these are the places where I see opportunity for you. And how are we going to get you there? How are we going to work together to make sure that those opportunities are open to you and kind of guide you through the bigger picture of the, not the day-to-day minutiae, of dealing with partners and other lawyers and things like that, but really your bigger career advice. And I want to underscore the fact that, you know, it's human nature for us to gravitate naturally toward people in our in-group. And so if you are looking for a mentor, you know, hopefully someone who becomes your sponsor one day, you likely are going to just instinctively go to someone who looks like you. You're, you're going to go to someone that you share a common interest with, um, uh, someone who knows your experience. But again, you talk about a profession like the legal profession, and I gave you the statistics in the beginning. I, I really just wanted to underscore that need for people to really go outside of you know, what is comfortable uh, and to think about seeking out a mentor uh, and hopefully a sponsor who's unlike you. Um, you know, if you're a young woman who's in the profession, you know, think about, uh, you know, a male as a sponsor or as a mentor, but also against all these different, you know, demographic lines. And so, you know, person of color thinking about, you know, someone white to be a, a mentor. It's that, that variety and diversity in that perspective as well. Not to mention you're talking about creating that access and opportunity. And if you've got those individuals who have that seat at the table, they can really be champions for you uh, and open up some doors. Joe, I want to go to you because this is an ongoing dialogue. And so, you know, this is not kind of like a one and done conversation. What do you do to keep yourself abreast of developments in DNI? Are there any particular sources of information or uh, any kinds of education that you would recommend to the viewers? There's a variety of different things. And, uh, you know, first off, I think the LCLD organization provides really good content that I, I go to regularly to the website to look at. But, and, uh, I read a lot. I'm a big reader anyhow. Um, so, you know, there's there's so much content out there, both for law firms and just in our communities and, and you know, the, the nation in general that, you know, I do a lot of public reading and things like that. But the other place where you learn a lot is talking to your people. Um, talking and listening um, is another place where I find out what's on other people's minds that uh, are important or what's, or what's happening that we should be paying attention to and learning from their insights to it. So it's, it's a variety of different things. I mean, there's programs such as this that we're participating in. I find myself much more frequently. It's really easy in the COVID world where you're home and you've got, you know, you've got the computer in front of you uh, at lunchtime to have a program like this and turn it on and watch it for an hour. You know, so there's a lot of different ways. There's a lot of different content out there. But I think at the end of the day, uh, it can't be all just reading. You've got to engage with people. Greg, how about you? Yeah, I think that's a great answer. It's all those things. I think there's more insightful stuff being written today on these topics probably than ever before. It's hard to kind of keep up with all of it, but it is, we're surrounded by real rich content and insight. Uh, and, you know, that's helped. You know, for me, uh, again, as I felt like I was 
pretty attuned to the issues for so long and now you realize, wow, I was really kind of on the surface. And, uh, um, and but I, I also think there's nothing like talking to people and, and, and not just casually, but you know, having a, a real in, intense conversation where you ask them to take you through how something looks to them and why. Uh, and uh, you're always gonna learn something and that'll help you for the next conversation and the next decision. And, and, uh, and I think it's just a, a long continuous journey. You know, I don't have any uh, illusion that I'm gonna get to the end and have a PhD in all this and know all the answers. It's, 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 it's very clear to me that this is super complicated with a lot of texture to it. Some of it's obvious and basic and, and maddening at the same time, but a lot of it is, uh, you know, I'm never going to master, but it's, it's, it's so important. I'm going to keep at it. There's a question in the chat and I'm actually going to take a crack at it. I think it uh, applies directly to, to my job, but of course I'll open it to, to either of you after I respond, but it says taking steps to increase DNI are great and necessary, uh, but incidents that make uh, individuals from underrepresented groups feel unwelcome. They can still happen. They can still slip through the cracks. Uh, what, if any, reporting measures do your companies have in place to aid individuals who are a part, you know, a woman or a person from an underrepresented group, um, to to help them in reporting things that go against the company's DNI commitment? And so, for me, I mean, that is essentially why I'm here. That, that is why I'm at Buchanan. And so, as Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer, not only am I meeting with all of the individuals in our organization, but uh, I also have my Diversity and Inclusion Council. Uh, and so I make sure that, you know, they're out and they're talking to all of our people. Um, and so there should not ever be a time uh, where anybody, and I want to make sure that it's very clear that, you know, this, the DNI Council or the CDIO is not there just for uh, women or just for, um, you know, LGBT individuals, people of color, for everyone. And so it's a matter of, you know, if someone wants to report um, uh, something going on in, in the company, something going on in the law firm that's not right. Um, something that's inequitable, and they want to affect some change. They don't know where to go. That's the benefit, and you talked about it earlier, to having someone who's full-time in this role, to having someone who's always got this you know, at the front of their plate. Um, this is always going to be a part of their, their daily agenda, and these are the conversations that they're having, and we're, we're really normalizing it, um, that it can be a part of everyday conversation. You know, How do we get better? Um, because there's always something that you can improve upon. Uh, there's always going to be another, a new or another issue um, that we can, um, uh, we can approach, uh, and that we can work toward and getting better. But um, that for me, of course, you know, I, I'm, I'm speaking from a first person perspective, but anything else um, by way of, you know, putting together mechanisms for uh, employees in your respective organizations and how they can report things up to, to, I guess, to get to your attention. So at PNC, one of our core values, it's hardwired into the, our, our values list is diversity and inclusion, also uh, treating people with respect. So, you know, uh, these things are are very much part of the foundation of uh, the culture of the company. And we have lots of mechanisms to get information up to the top of the company uh, if people aren't um, living up to those uh, values. So uh, we have an ethics hotline, we have reporting in through your, uh, your management chain. Uh, we get it up at the top of the company a lot of different ways. And, and one of the great things I think today is the bad thing is, you know, there are still issues that happen. People do things and say things you, they shouldn't do. But the good thing is, I think more than ever before, um, those situations are getting up the chain. You know, I, I know there were probably times in the past in all organizations where people felt like they really couldn't speak up. You know, they would be uh, targeted or, you know, punished in some way. Uh, I think there's going to be less of that because we're all talking about this and we want to know about it and hear it. We try to get that information up and then hold people accountable and, 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 and take action. Uh, it's, uh, it's important to really reinforce we mean what we say about treating everybody with respect uh, and about our commitment to having an inclusive, not just diverse, but an inclusive uh, workforce and, and, and workplace. One of the ways I know that you underscore that, Joe, is that whenever you've got the, the microphone, if you will, whenever you're giving a, you know, a, a, um, a talk to the shareholders or whenever you do the all-firm call, diversity is a part of that conversation. And so you're letting everyone in our law firm know from the top that it's on, it's on your mind. And it's something that's very important not only to the firm, but to you personally. 
And so I think that speaks volumes in letting people know that, you know, if they want to affect some change, they can even come to you. Yeah, I try and be open and accessible. Um, you know, I think, and things are going to happen. I mean, inevitable. Um, um, but letting people know it is important is one of our core values as well, respect and collegiality. And I see, I look, I look at you, Lloyd, and your position in the diversity councils are front lines. And we want to create safe spaces for people that have these issues, feel that they can raise them. And, you know, I can't fix it if I don't know about it. But if we know about it, we're going to, we are at a point where we have to take action and we want to take action because we want to make sure that those incidents become less and less over time until they, they no longer occur. And we want people to feel that they're safe, that they can raise these issues and that they're important to us and that we want to know about them. Uh, gentlemen, as we wrap up, I really just wanted to ask, and you know, I guess I could start with you, Joe, what parting remarks do you have? I'm going to piggyback again off of something Greg said. We're on, we're on a journey. Um, it's a long road and everybody's at a different place in that road. Some people are half a mile in, some people are three miles in. I don't know how long the road is, but we, it's important that we all get engaged and we begin to learn about those things that we already that we don't know about. I mean, there's so much that we think we know about that we just we're just we're just scratching the surface. So get on the road, educate yourself, and become an ally. Get active, be involved. Yes, Greg. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm a lot closer to the end of my career than the beginning. So uh, I can tell you, and I'm, I'm sure there are a lot of younger lawyers out there right now listening to this, but. Uh, when you look back after a long run, you, you don't really think spend a lot of time thinking about the big client you got or the big case you won. Um, what I think about is who I helped and did I make a difference, did I make an impact? And uh, you know, to be able to answer that question, yes, you gotta start now. Don't wait till you have Joe's job or my job. And uh, um, you'll be glad you did that. And it'll be the thing you remember. You know, being part of forming LCLD and the fellows program, probably the thing I'm most proud of, uh, of all the things I've been involved in, in uh, the legal profession, because it was trying to make the profession more diverse. Uh, and, uh, and looking now at how many fellows there are around the country, a couple thousand or more, uh, you know, it, it's, um, it really means something to me that I had a little part in that. So, uh, I think, um, you know, take that on board and, and uh, think about how you can help somebody now. You know, I was looking in the uh, the comments that were coming in through the chat and I, I can sum them up for you, but I can also speak for myself. This has been an absolutely powerful discussion. It's a much needed discussion, one we need to have more often. And I thank you both. I thank you not only for your time. I know that you're you're running very, very large organizations, law firms, banks, et cetera. Um, but, I, but I thank you not only for, for coming and sharing your time, but to also share your insight and for your honesty, your honesty and your candor. Uh, and that's really what's gonna help us if we're going to move as a collective unit toward really advancing uh, diversity and inclusion. So uh, Greg, thank you so very much for joining me. Joe, of course, thank you. Uh, and I appreciate all of you for tuning in. Uh, very, very important conversation, important topic. Uh, and we hope that this conversation can continue. Thanks so much.